In 2016, scientists on Earth detected a fast radio burst from a distant region of space with no observable SARS. The following transmissions were declassified by the scientific community and given to us to present as the Binary Saga. Log entry, Hyma Venus 69, 2373, Age of Enlightenment. Hey Jason, I have listened to your message at least 10 times. Most recently, I was laying on the rooftop deck, holding my fieldstone and looking at the stars, hoping it would show me where you were in the night sky. I swear, I thought it was getting warmer, and I opened my eyes to see Andy standing over me, asking if I found you. He doesn't think the stones work. I know they do. He just has no imagination. (laughs) I love coming along on your journeys through space. I can totally see everything. The pods, the shuttles, the pools. And those pictures are incredible. It made me feel like I was seven years old all over again, listening to Helgi tell me about flying to Vicini. Kai and I would sit cross-legged, as he reenacted the journey with sound effects and big arm movements. (laughs) How was your reunion with Javi? How did you like being one of the commanders? I bet you excelled at it. You're a good listener, and you really have a way of looking at things with a different perspective. Plus, with all of your experience, I'm sure that the pilots would look to you for guidance, whether you were in charge or not. Aside from not being able to date crew members... There's a lot of responsibility on your shoulders, and that comes with tough decisions. And I can't even imagine how harder it is to command when there's no room for screw-ups, because it could literally mean life and death. My unsolicited advice, as sitting second in command, is to let your team shine when they do well, and fall on the sword when they fail. More than a few times, my head has been on the block in front of my dad and Mikkel for something one of my teams did. But that's how you earn respect. I guess I never realized that you can't see anything flying through the system. My dad and I are scheduled to go to Viron next week. We're going to tour some automated factories, have a few business meetings, and check out some breweries for fun. My dad is super excited because apparently several Veronian brewers use open fermentation methods perfected by the ancients. The style was lost ages ago on Hymavina, and it's all he's been talking about since he found out about them. Anyway, I'm really excited to see another planet in the Lithian system that is supposed to be very different from Alondra. In fact, the entire planet is supposed to be a lot like Yodith, and I can't wait to hear the crunch of real snow drink some proper bure, and smell some crisp mountain air. Well, after convincing everyone to get their own places, Andy and I took our own advice and found something for ourselves. It's in the Brengard Waterfront District, and it's very similar to our flat in Hopnina. The best part is that we're not on the compound. <laughs> our first morning here, I woke up to the sound of singing. I walked into the kitchen to find Andy in his lounge pants, dancing around while making cafe and blasting some new rock band he's obsessed with. He loves having a place all to ourselves again. (laughs) We still have his apartment at the compound, but it mostly holds Andy's childhood things that we didn't want to move. Mari and Kai also moved off the compound and found a cool house in West Brengard, down the street from Helgi and Junipers. It's not on the beach side, but it has a lovely pool that I think even a Velen would appreciate. Aside from our move, this year has been 
<laughs> I don't even know how to explain it. But it all started about a week after my last message. I was sitting on the Sam Coma legislative balcony waiting to meet a representative from Veron. It's a nice spot to wait because it overlooks the gardens and the memorial park. I was focused on my hand terminal when I heard, hmm, eagerly waiting for me. I could get used to that. And I looked up to see Lord Bjorn Laurelin taking the seat beside me on the bench. And all I thought was, I should have known. The balcony was scattered with people, so we weren't alone. And I said, well, Lord Laurelin, you got me here. What are you going to do to me? And he looked wounded and said, Ugh, Cecilla, I have never taken advantage of anyone. Everyone comes to my bed willingly, eagerly, in fact, as will you. <laughs> and I can see how someone could be easily charmed by him. And he is gorgeous. But I've been at this political game since I was 15. I dropped the formalities and quietly said, Bjorn, you are very confident that I'm just going to lift up my skirt like everyone else. And he smiled at me and told me that I wasn't like everyone else. And I rolled my eyes at him. And then he leaned into my ear and told me something that actually made me blush. I couldn't help it. And then he got up and said, Think about it. I know I will. And then he left. After that, I started seeing him everywhere. At events. My usual cafe shop the restaurants where I have business meetings at. A major gossip broadsheet ran a cover story with the picture of Bjorn leaning over and whispering in my ear on the Samcoma balcony with the headline, Cicela Trades Up. The article was filled with pictures of all the times Bjorn ran into me. Most of the pictures got the angle where it looked like he was kissing my neck. The article talked about a budding romance. That night, Andy, Gaius, and I complained about how clever Bjorn had been to use the paparazzi. If I called for a formal accusation to force him to back off, he could produce photographic evidence that our feelings were mutual. <laughs> Pretty damn cunning, and I should have seen it coming. But <laughs> I know this game too, so I enlisted some help. About a month later, there was a private party at the Hughesby compound, and I knew he'd be in attendance. I avoided him, so he never saw me. About halfway through the evening, we heard, How dare you touch me like that? Andy and I arrived at a small gathering of people, watching Iria yell at Bjorn, who was picking himself up off of the floor. Bjorn had forgotten how much I look like my grandmother. Well, at least from behind, you can't tell. He apparently came up behind her and put his hand on her hip and whispered one of his famous innuendos. And Iria grabbed his wrist, put her shoulder into him, and flipped him on the floor. <laughs> My position prohibits me from disrespecting a head of house, but Iria, as one herself, is free to call out an offense and take action directly. Iria scolded him for his paparazzi smear campaign and demanded that he apologize to me. <laughs> it was priceless and exactly to plan. Bjorn caught my eye while wiping blood off of his mouth, and inclined his head in apology. The following week, I came into the office to find an enormous bouquet of flowers on my assistant's desk. 
She made the joke that Andy must have been in trouble because this was an impressive apology. I laughed, and I read the card. It was from Bjorn. Sasella, I can't be mad. That was masterful. Maybe next time we can work our differences under the covers. B. Less than a month later, I was at a dinner with a couple of hand terminal manufacturing CEOs when Bjorn sat at the table. I looked at him and said, Mother's breath, what now? But this time, I was the embarrassed party because Bjorn owned one of the plants through a House Laureland subsidiary. I apologized. And the dinner meeting was actually professional and productive. And when the CEOs left to make their calls to confirm with their legal teams, Bjorn and I found ourselves alone in a private dining room. He slid over to me in the booth and said, Susella, you are incredibly impressive. I just raised my eyebrow at him, and he told me he was giving me a legitimate compliment. And then he began to tell me that he loves running into me, because he doesn't feel lonely when he sees me. <laughs> so I turned to him, and I put my hand on his cheek. And then he leaned into my hand, and he slowly started to kiss my palm. I leaned against his forehead, and he whispered my name. And I licked my lips and said, You should get a Farhoon. They are great companions. Bjorn was just about to kiss me when he quietly chuckled. And then I said, Seriously, my great-grandfather breeds them? I can totally get you one. <laughs> and he pulled away from me laughing. I laughed too. <laughs> and something shifted between us. I grabbed the bottle of Vin on the table and refilled our glasses. We toasted and declared a truce and discussed the deal that had been just negotiated. And then I asked the question I like to ask all heads of houses, usually later in the evening when we've had plenty of Vin. If you weren't head of house, what would you be doing? And his answer surprised me because he was the first one to say that this is all he's ever wanted to do. And I confessed that I felt the same way, because I do. His smile was genuine, as he told me that I wasn't going to get any better as a scion with Raythea as my guide through the Lithian system. And then he said, You must be aware of Raythea's limitations, or have I grossly misjudged you? I wasn't going to push Raythea off a cliff by admitting that I did agree with him, so I didn't answer. And then he moved a glass of vin in front of him and said, Look, say this is the Samcoma. And then he pulled out a pen and began writing on the tablecloth as he moved glasses around the table as props to explain the house dynamics of the Elithian system. He wasn't patronizing, and he confirmed a few things that I had wondered about. When I asked him if he had done this for his daughter Janine, he laughed and said that her scion portfolio is marketing. And then he smiled, and he tried to sell me dirty ice by saying that I was different from all the others. I sighed. And he said, Okay, of course, I'm incredibly attracted to you. But honestly, I enjoy our banter. And this is the most fun I've had in a really long time. So, Cecilia, let me help you. <laughs> when I got home, I found Andy in the dining room with Gaius and Joel playing a card game. I lifted up the tablecloth and said, you will never guess who drew me this. A couple weeks later, 
I was in the Samcoma House Gallery, watching a floor debate, with my legislative team, when I received a message from Bjorn. Ready for your first lesson? Or we can find something more fun to do. And I turned around, and saw a smiling Bjorn slip his hand terminal back into his pocket. I joined him against the balcony railing. We watched the debate, and he predicted which politicians would say what, told me to watch certain aides, and pointed out people's tells. He told me which Alithian politicians happily took political contributions, and which houses had influence over which politicians. During a break, he asked me the question I get asked all of the time. Why aren't Andy and I married yet? I sighed. And Bjorn quietly told me that he was married at age 20, and how happy they were. I knew that his wife died in childbirth, along with their fourth child. And then he just looked at me, like he was struggling to tell me something. And I raised my eyebrow and said, <laughs> Don't be a cliche. He quietly laughed and said, Sasella, you may be beautiful and intelligent, but there was only one Yana. <laughs> I smiled, and he whispered that his late wife Yana would have liked me. I thought about my great-grandmother Yana, who was also unique. And then he turned to me and said, Come on, protege. Let's go walk the corridors and be intimidating. A few months later, my parents and I met Bjorn at a technology startup event, in part so that I could get my dad's take on my new mentor. I had just congratulated the COO on their venture capital funding when I returned to the three of them in fits of laughter. Bjorn beamed at me and said that he knew where I got my charm and intelligence. And my mom laughed and said, Careful, B. CJ has the same right hook as my mom. And Bjorn reflexively touched the back of his head and said that he would never underestimate tiny Hymavians again. <laughs> Once there, my dad took the opportunity to embarrass me by telling Bjorn my best and worst work stories. Bjorn told them about our meetups, and my dad said that he was happy that I was finally doing my job by making a Lithian allies. In the vehicle, my parents said that they were impressed that I turned an adversary into a trusted ally. And I told them that while I respect him, I didn't completely trust him yet. And my dad said not to let Raytheia's opinion of Bjorn cloud my judgment, and to remember that I work for House Jorgensen, not House Vinstrasse, and my allies have to be my own. I looked at my dad, waiting for the ice to melt, but he said, CJ, I have no issues with Bjorn. In fact, I like him a lot, and I think this is exactly the right Alithian mentor for you. He added that I needed someone who thinks as fast as me, challenges me intellectually, and was proud of me for being smart enough to accept help outside of the family. I was not expecting that reaction. Last summer, after Bjorn and I were finalizing that hand terminal deal, the parent company hosted a small reception on a living rooftop to celebrate. We did our individual rounds and retreated to a table to toast our mutual success. I asked him something I had been curious about. Who was your mentor? And Bjorn smiled and said, Alora Venstrasse. My mouth dropped. He laughed and told me that his family made house status with his mom in charge, but she hated everything that came with it. So she retired and put him in charge at age 30. 
His mom is quite content as the house's lead hardware engineer, and his eldest sister, Sonnet, excels as house Jarl. Alora, as he told the story, approached him at the house summit and told him that his house was at risk of being bought out and offered to help him. Raythea was still a chef back then and resented Alora for choosing him as her protege. And I realized how Bjorn must have looked to Raythea, a young kid who had everything that she longed for at the time, a happy marriage, a young family, a successful house business, and her mother's approval. And then he said, We were just this ragtag family who pulled house status out of poor Vuron. You know, Alora was the first to the hospital when I called her to tell her I lost Yana and my son. She came to Viron to help me look after my girls when I couldn't pick myself up off the floor. But Raythea didn't even call to tell me Alora died. I found out on the news. We talked about Alora until the event ended, and I began to worry that he was only mentoring me to get back at Raythea. It must have shown on my face because he said, Don't be a cliche, my sweet. I only decide to help you after you outmaneuvered me. I'm not selling you dirty ice. You are the real deal. I could not get home fast enough to tell Andy all of this. And he just sat there with his hand over his mouth. He said that it explained a lot about his mom and the fights that she had with Alora that he never understood. I told Bjorn he had to tell Andy about his grandmother. So Bjorn came over to our flat one evening with a bottle of Viron vodka and an old toffle board. Andy was polite, but then Bjorn handed Andy the board and said, Anduin, this was Alora's. She taught me and my girls how to play. I would love to teach you and tell you all about her. By the end of the evening, we were all laughing. Needless to say, it's probably a good thing that we moved to our own place, and I didn't lease offices in Vinstrasa Plaza, because Raythea has not been too thrilled with my new mentor and House Jorgensen ally. I think a lot of long-forgotten memories have resurfaced, and Raythea makes little disparaging comments about Bjorn and Viron under her breath. She just didn't know the truth, or didn't bother to ask. I just stay quiet, because like Andy told me, she will get over it, and her problems with Bjorn are her own. One day, I was in the kitchen getting the last of our things from Andy's apartment, when I overheard Raythea on a video call in the kitchen. The conversation was mostly angry talk about how Bjorn was back, and that he had taken me as a protege. She was pissed that he had also befriended Andy. And the voice said that they had seen my dad and Bjorn at a brewery on the waterfront. And Raythea replied, Well, of course, Viron and Haimavina are so backwards. Trash always finds trash. And she started laughing with her friend. I dropped my bag on the counter. And she turned around and her face looked like she had stepped on cracked ice. I told her that I was just stopping by to grab my transmitter and to make sure that we emptied the trash from the apartment. She growled. Bjorn is only mentoring you because he wants to get back at me. I sighed. I told Raythea that I would talk to her later and that I loved her. And I left before I said something I would regret. I haven't told Andy what she said, and I'm not looking forward to that conversation, 
because I know it'll hurt him. I will have to tell him eventually, because my parents refuse to step foot on the Vinstrasse compound now. This isn't even the first time I've heard comments like that. <laughs> I've learned a lot about the Alithian system, and the disparities in planetary wealth, and the prejudice and discrimination depending on where you're from. Two Alondrans on Mari's legal staff made some really derogatory and inappropriate comments about one of my legislative aides, a Haimavina who has been with me for over a decade. Mari heard about this and barged into their offices and fired them on the spot because House Jorgensen does not tolerate that kind of behavior. They laughed at her and claimed that she had no authority to fire them. Except I was standing in the doorway and I told them to get out. Being in charge has some perks, like firing prejudiced casipas. <laughs> this whole year reminds me of something your mom once told Helgi that everyone has a story behind them that helped them shape who they are, and that it's never really apparent on the surface when you meet them. Truer words have never been spoken. I've been thinking about your mom a lot lately, and I'm worried about her trapped on the surface of Vela. I sent her a few messages to let her know that I hope that she is safe. In fact, I know my whole family has probably been bombarding her with worry messages. And I keep thinking about what it would be like to be in charge during a global crisis, and how stressed she must be trying to coordinate the response to the aftermath. How is Vela able to build these terrestrial mag cells? I think it's incredible to think that your industry can essentially build domes over entire cities on short notice. The last time Aluda had a solar flare, it knocked out a few satellites, and the staff on both Randir and Braddith had a shelter in place for a couple of days. But this sounds like it could kill most of the flora and fauna on Vela, not to mention any Velen caught unprotected. A truly civilizing, altering event. Will Vela be able to sustain its population in the wake of this event? <laughs> I keep thinking how terrifying it must be for you and your crew, stranded and unable to help your friends and family so far away. In the face of such a disaster, I keep thinking about Javi's family and that small town they live in. Were they able to find shelter? Did their crops survive? I haven't got his last message yet, so let him know that I'm thinking about him and his family too. So stay safe out there. Love always. CJ, age 39. Log entry, Vela 69. Vela Rotat 2694. Cycle 10 of the 8th Annual. Hey, hey, Siege. After so many annuals that I can't even count them, I have returned home. No, really, I can't count them. We all get so lost in the time dilation that even between our two crafts, the Arasi and the Torma, time was skewed. In an effort to get home faster, I experimented with small pulses of the fusion drive while the mag sail was deployed to increase our overall speed but still maintain a more constant 1 VSG. Between the two craft, we played Leaping Katak with each other. This caused a serious time difference between our craft, but we did arrive back home two annuals earlier than we were expecting to. The captain gave me a commendation for the ingenuity of the experiment, and all of the crew were happy to be back home. Being a commander was a thrill and a challenge all rolled into one. I loved being there for the people on my crew, but the stress of management takes its own toll. 
Being the one to make the decisions, even something as small as what the crew is having for dinner, or passing judgment on a member that started a fight and had to spend the rest of the trip locked up. I miss just flying, but I think command actually suits me. It wouldn't have been possible without an excellent crew that I was working for, and having someone like Captain Tavor to help me understand the whirlpools of leadership. According to the burden of leadership, I shouldn't say anything about those under my command, but during the trip back, there was quite a bit of downtime and an argument broke out in one of the common areas. One of the engineers who was working on the CS2 investigation was lamenting about how complicated the engine design was and going over results from tests they ran. At the table over, one of the techs commented that the craft wouldn't have glitched out if it had just Velentech in it. That it was all the Vena Upla that was corrupting the circuits. Then he proceeded to spout off a string of anti-Hymovena propaganda. When confronted by the engineer, who apparently was named as a pastel for his Hymovena friend's daughter, the tech threw a punch, knocking the engineer down, and then spit on him when he was on the floor. The rest of the crew that were there pulled the two apart and restrained the tech. He got to spend the rest of the trip home in the brig and is awaiting trial for assault now. When it happened, I could tell that Tevor had already decided on the course of action, but he still looked at me to ask what I would do. We discussed various options for discipline, and when I mentioned locking the tech up and allowing the council the chance to deal with it when we got home, he just smiled and brought up the communications issues that we were having and crew assignments to fill the gap. Then it was on to navigational drift between the three craft in our makeshift fleet and how to compensate. That's the benefit and difficulty of command. There's always another thing to deal with, and it's best to finish up and move on to the next crisis. I knew that Tevor was aware of my past dealings with bullying and interplanetary relations, so I wasn't surprised to find out that the environmental settings on a particular cell on the brig were set a little colder than normal. Almost Hymavenan in climate. The aftermath of the solar flare was what greeted us on our return. Power use of the mag shields drained reserves of the power plants, and only now have they begun building back up. Rolling blackouts around the planet kept so many people in the dark. Thankfully, power is becoming more stable now that it's been a while, and the plants are working overtime. Don't worry. Mom and the entire council were sequestered deep in one of the bunkers during the main part of the flare, and then, by her order, they were all out coordinating the efforts to help everyone. She mentioned to me that in some places, she even had flashbacks to the war in Laar. She was right there with many of the first responders, going to places outside the shield, and making sure that those that needed help got it. Effects on cities were minimal. In many cases, there was nothing but an extraordinary light show at night. Outlying towns and villages were hurt so much harder. There were reports of those who were outside of the various shields becoming sick or experiencing scarring of their scales. Crops in some of those areas were burned out completely or damaged in a way that made them unsafe for consumption. Many of the greenhouse teams are actually working now to provide treatment for some of the natural habitats to make sure that they can survive. Plants are sometimes much more hardy than people, though. I'm sure Aunt Iria can tell you all about it. Some of the more elderly that refused to evacuate were recovered afterwards. CJ, it was not pretty. Those poor people that just wanted to stay home. 
Some of them were unable to be evacuated due to infirmities. This was truly a planetary tragedy. But also, the whole community of Vela came together to help as many people as possible. The happy news is that despite all of the devastation across the planet, Vela is still thriving. It was only a small percentage of the population that were exposed, and those that were protected are now working to protect and care for others. When we arrived, the recovery efforts were in full swirl, and Javi and I jumped in to help where we could. We orchestrated shuttle flights to and from hospitals and the outlying areas. It had almost been a full rotat since the flare, but there was still work going on. They started at the areas immediately around the cities protected by the shields, and then worked their way outward. When we got involved, it was in some of the hardest to reach regions and outlying islands and jungle areas. I'm talking about places that look like we traveled back in time. Villages where they still lived in small huts deep in the jungle and mountain areas. It was fascinating to see that people still lived this way. But at the same time, we were saddened to see the effect that the flare had on those villages. They weren't afforded the same protection as those in the cities. Depending on where they were on the planet during the flare, daytime or nighttime, those that suffered suffered in a way that you don't want to even imagine. The sickness had taken hold of so many of them that relief efforts could barely even help to ease their discomfort. Some that lived close to caves that had high mineral content were less affected than others. I'm sorry if you were feeling down or sad during that time. Between flights, I would sit and hold my fieldstone and pretend that you were there helping me to help these people. I know that you would be out there with the rest of us and be an inspiration. I held my stone and I could feel your strength to help me go on each night. Sadly, even before we landed, after coming home from Tekor Havala, we saw reports from Chonar that many of the followers of the Ancients felt that this flare was the Ancients punishing them and fled from the shields. What they were being punished for is anyone's guess, but there were so many people that just ran away or even unsuccessfully attempted to sabotage the shield in Chonar. <sighs> in an effort to think of better things, you mentioned that you were traveling to Viron. How was that trip? I imagine that Rowan got a little too excited with all of the breweries you were describing. Now you are truly a star traveler. Visiting all of these other planets has to be amazing. A question for you though. Now that you have been to Viron, which you said is a lot like Yodith back home. Do you miss it? Home, that is. It feels like you've been off to the Alithian system for so long now. All of the stories of Haimovina that we would trade back and forth of all of the locations made me feel like I was missing out on not seeing them in person. You have been there, and now you aren't. Do you miss them at all? I imagine that it's probably tough on both you and Andy, being of two different worlds feeling the tug of your homeland and wanting to share it with someone special, but having the complication of not being able to settle in one place or the other for fear that the other person would miss their home. I think I know how to settle this. You both should just move here. I'll arrange for a place in the R and you could experience the bustle of the city. Or did you want the countryside? I could find a place out near Javi's dad's farm that would suit you. Now that recovery efforts are winding down, I'm working at the SI labs going over all of the data from the CS2. There's a whole team of engineers and scientists 
that are working on the project, including a few of the SI developers. One of them, Aaron, is actually the voice of Psy, the synthetic intelligence that's loaded on all the craft that we fly. I may have accidentally called her Psy more than once in our conversations. She would laugh it off and give one of the default responses that the SI would give, and then laugh at my scales changing shade. The data from the CS2 has been very enlightening to examine. I didn't have much chance to see it aside from the general reports from the flight home. But now that we can really dive into it, it's amazing. The drive that was created out of the combination of Haimavala and Velen technology is something that I've never seen before. I still can't wrap my head around it, but when the CS2 spun up the drive and plotted the course to Fenora, as it was supposed to, the calculations that the pilot engine side of the SI had to make made my eyes cross. When plotting out a normal flight, be it Fusion or MagSail, you are subject to the real time that it takes to get from one point to another. You see the planets moving, the moons orbiting, the various debris from asteroids and comets all moving around you in space. There are so many objects out there that to think about it all at once is crazy. When plotting the jump from this new drive, the SI is calculating all of those visuals we would normally see and adjust for, but doing it all before the drive is initiated. It projects the endpoint of the jump at the location and then opens the entry point in front of the craft. When it crosses through the entry point, it emerges at the exit point instantly. Except it's not instant. From what we can see, it's only apparently instant to those on the craft. This is why the CS2 disappeared for a few cycles before emerging at key. The clocks on board were all a few cycles behind. It appearing at key instead of Fenora is a whole different complication. As the SI was calculating the jump, the sensors kept registering interference and attempted to triangulate the source. In trying to split its attention from plotting the jump and tracking the interference, it skewed the calculations and jumped to key instead. The jump burned out the power generators for the drive and stranded the craft. We were lucky to get a crew out to key when we did. Its orbit was degrading, and had we waited much longer, the whole craft would have crashed into the planet, and we wouldn't have learned anything from it. While we were at TKH, they managed to repair some of the power plant damage and recharge the system enough for general diagnostics, but it wasn't enough to really learn what we have since being home. So, your story about Bjorn and Raythea, and really just all of that. Wow. There's so much to unpack there. At first, I think I really wanted to hate Bjorn with a deep watery passion that would drown him to the depths and he would never be found. But... As you went on, I began to see something. Admiration from both of you. I can completely respect that. I know that you're probably surprised to hear that coming from the insanely jealous alien from across the stars, but being in charge of something really changes you. Working with Captain Tevor taught me a lot. Initially, he was extremely hard on me, pushing me to give up the pilot's chair and take command of the entire craft to see everything that is happening both inside and outside and how each aspect of the crew and craft working together can accomplish the goal and how to influence them. 
much like steering the craft itself. Eventually, I learned that he was intentionally pushing me out of my comfort pool to get me to think on my feet. He was testing me, and apparently I passed. After a few annuals on the voyage, we began working together, and I could see both of our perspectives change. That's what Bjorn did for you. I may not agree with his initial methods, and when you next see him, please punch him someplace uncomfortable and tell him it's from me. Then, when that's done, extend a web of friendship and appreciation for being a strong mentor. As for Raythea, I don't even know what to say. You know that I've always had a certain level of distrust for Elithians, but in your travels, it sounds like you have met and experienced a wide variety of different types of Elithians. There are those that appear to be trustworthy and will treat you like your school. They pretend to love you while stabbing you in the back, like Raythea. Then there are others that treat you with respect and admire your individuality for who you are. They see you and they love you and they don't have any aspirations to change you into what they want you to be. Instead, they learn along with you who you want to be and inspire you to become that. Like Anduin. You should absolutely share with him what you have learned, if you haven't already. I know it's a tough decision because it may drive a wedge between you two. The facts are... There's already a wedge between you and Raytheon now, and it has nothing to do with Andy. He has been in that world of politics and house rules, and has even outmaneuvered you on occasion. He will understand and see the larger picture. I'm confident that he will grab hold of you and hold you close as you both work through this. I know because he and I share so many of the same qualities, and that's what I would do. He has opened up to you on so many times, Lean into him. I know he will be there for you. As always, if you need an ear hole to be there for you, I'm only a light rotat away. Well, I mean a little more than that, because you aren't at home, but you know what I mean. May the waves guide you. Jason, 39. Log entry, I'm Avena 70. 2374, Age of Enlightenment. Hey, Jason, I'm so happy to get your message, and I'm glad that you're back on Bella. There's something about you being back on solid ground that makes me feel better. I know you would rather be flying than in a lab, but it must be very satisfying to apply your expertise to another aspect of the CS2 development process. The entire solar flare event sounded frightening, and hearing it from your perspective makes it sound even worse. I know that you said it only affected a small percentage of the population and that the communities joined together in the wake of the tragedy, but I still feel for those who weren't able to escape. And I'm completely confused by the ones who didn't want to. I remember sitting in the conference room at the House Laurelin office, reading the reports on the aftermath on my hand terminal. And outside, I watched a passenger ferry depart and people walk along the waterfront promenade. And it was so surreal to know that people were dying on another planet across the galaxy as I watched people going about their day here. I had my field stone in my hand, and I swear I felt it go cold. And I started to think, Jason, be strong. I don't know, maybe you did feel it. I was totally lost in my thoughts when I heard Bjorn's assistant ask me, Madam Newspark, did you order the blackened tuna fisque or the cucumber salad for dinner? And I started crying. I remember my dad and Bjorn walking in laughing with beverages, 
and they both descended on me like well-practiced fathers. (laughs) I'm very relieved to know that your mom is okay. I got a short message from her that said that she was safe, but super busy, and I should not worry. And then she asked me to tell her all about the wedding plans because she wanted a distraction. I'm not surprised to hear that she was leading the recovery efforts. I would expect nothing less from Ori. The recovery effort came up during a conversation I had with Iria and Vera the other day. Vera told me that the Alithian fleet sent a ship with supplies, seeds, and medical treatments they hoped that would work for Velens before the sun flare hit. But apparently their navigation systems experienced problems about halfway there, and they became stranded. The working theory at fleet headquarters is that the initial wave of the flare caught the ship and burned out its flight computers. Aria said that Hoxa sent one of its unmanned supply ships, but they lost the guidance link, and the ship was adrift in the same general area as a fleet vessel. Verkstad deployed a Valkyra-class recovery ship, which has specially hardened systems and a redundant subspace communication gear to retrieve both ships. It's on its way back now, apparently. When I voiced my concern about what the flare could do to you and Javi, Erie explained that you were much farther out and almost certainly safe. And she was right. But then again, she usually is. Well, I don't know if I would really consider myself a space traveler, if only because space travel within the Lithian system is so common that it's no different than air travel back home. It even has many of the same hassles, all of which we got to experience on our trip to Viron. High atmospheric winds over Brengard delayed the elevator runs, and we got lost like tourists while trying to find our gate on Viron Station. But discovering Viron did almost feel like being back on Hymavina. Viron was the last planet in the system to be colonized, and remains the most sparsely populated, which is why it doesn't have an elevator. Even the space around Viron is fairly empty. There is a research station on its moon Avalon, which serves as a technology incubator for several small private spacing companies and a station to handle the space traffic. The population lives on one continent and is centered on the capital city of Tallina. The waterfront city of Tallina is built on a bay in a Ford estuary, and the culture and pace of life is relaxed compared to the fast-paced, futuristic Brengard. It's also very safe, which means that we don't need heavy security and our bodyguards kept a wide perimeter. Viron also has incredibly strict anti-paparazzi laws, and nobody even bothered my mom, who is legitimately famous. My parents and I were just regular people shuffling through dried leaves on the sidewalk and enjoying the pine fragrance in the air. We love it here. One of the reasons for our trip is that Bjorn, my dad, and I were working on acquiring a technology company, which has snowballed into our first joint hostile takeover. (laughs) The innovative startup we targeted makes amazing processing chips for hand terminals. And while they've been looking for a buyer for a while, they really wanted a partner to help them further improve their product. My dad thought that if we proposed a joint venture with House Laurelin, which is a hardware technology house, we could convince the startup to sell. We learned that House Lynn at Agonima was also presenting an offer. House Jorgensen has traded paint with House Lynn in recent years. Mostly, they recently tried to screw us over on a government contract we had with ECAL. And prior to that, they lobbied for a technology compliance law that would have screwed over Hymavina. I may or may have not jammed that bill up in committee. (laughs) Regardless, there's bad blood, and securing the startup deal itself would have been great. But it gets better. In the course of doing due diligence, House Laurel and security investigators discovered who was behind my attack. It was House Lind. 
It makes sense now. We all sat in stunned silence, and then Bjorn turned to me with a mischievous grin and asked, Pop question, my sweet. What is a faith worse than death for a house? And I mirrored his grin and said, <laughs> Losing your house status. Bjorn nodded, and my dad's smile could have scared off an ice lion. In the light of this new information, we switched gears. Lithian corporations don't innovate like their Heimavidan competitors, but they've had centuries to perfect corporate espionage, and House Laurelin has turned it into an art form. Bjorn's team learned that House Lin's acquisition attempt masked weak financials and dissension on their board. We set up a screen of shell companies and have been quietly purchasing their public shares. I know, it isn't an elegant way of doing it, but neither was trying to kidnap me. This will be a good thing in the long run, because it shifts more advanced technology jobs to Viron and Haimavina, and prevents the central planets from dominating the sector. Later on my nightly call with Andy, I told him our plan. And Andy surprised me by saying, Why don't you guys set up your teams to buy out the last of the shares during the house summit? Bella Lynn wouldn't be able to stop it then. And I told him he was brilliant. And that's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> it's going to be delicious. During our initial month-long stay here, Andy and I spoke nearly every day, but he never could make the trip to Viron. Raythea kept making excuses for why she needed him on Alondra. One afternoon, Andy called me after a huge fight he had with her and said that he was heading to the marina to go for a sail. He was as angry as I'd ever heard him. He ran into Max at the clubhouse that day, and Max convinced him to join him for the Thursday night Segbit race with some of Team Lulea's crew. These races aren't official, it's just a bunch of sailors racing in the evenings for fun and bragging rights. Andy is now a regular on the Thursday crew. Max told me that Andy is as good as anyone on Team Lulea and should have been a professional sailor. It reminded me of my mom's desire to be one too, and how life has different plans for everyone. Regardless, racing has really helped Andy manage his stress working with Raythea. Back here on Viron, when Bjorn and my dad and I weren't working on our House Lind project, Bjorn and his daughters have been showing off their planet. They've taken me and my parents to restaurants, a few maritime museums, and even a sunset sail around Talina's Bay. It was spectacular, and of course, Bjorn shares my dad's obsession with Bjorn. One of Bjorn's favorite breweries, the Northern Realm Brewing, is right off the main waterfront promenade. It's a great place with good food and an extensive tap collection and live music. The brewery is really known as one of the few places that brews something called sati. They evidently perfected the art of making it from an ancient recipe. It's a rustic ale made from unmalted and malted grain and filtered through juniper branches. Bjorn or my dad will happily explain the process to you in great detail if you make the mistake of expressing even the slightest interest. <laughs> Truth be told, sati is awful. And I don't care if it's traditional. <laughs> Bjorn saw my expression after trying it and proclaimed, I'm going to break you of this Alondra Vin addiction and bring you back to your ancient roots. And I told him that I had been drinking Bjorn my whole life, and I could recognize every style made by one taste. I mean, my family spends weekends brewing in the home brewery we have at the Jorgensen Estate. <laughs> Bjorn grinned and challenged me to a tasting competition. My dad was delighted and announced to the entire brewery that we were doing it, and the loser would buy a round for the whole bar. <laughs> Two identical flights of different styles were prepared, we were blindfolded, and it was on. My dad crowned himself master of ceremonies, 
and we gained a quiet crowd around us as we went through each taster. I lost. <laughs> but that last one really wasn't fair, as it was an obscure Veronian style. Then Bjorn stood and raised his arms and declared himself victorious to the entire bar, and got an enthusiastic round of applause. Then he leaned down and said, What did I teach you about home port advantage, my sweet? <laughs> The competition drew enough attention that a few people recognized my mom. It was bound to happen. Word spread quickly around the brewery that rock icon Frida Newspark was there. And during the set break, the brewery's house band convinced her to come on stage and play a few songs with them. The brewery patrons were thrilled and sang along with their favorite Seda songs and even called out a few requests. My mom and the band were having a blast on stage. It was a super fun evening. My parents rarely travel to the Alithian system, and neither of them really like Alondra. My mom has been to all the Alithian planets while on tour, and Viron has always been her favorite. She says music just pours out of her here, and more than once we've been in a cafe shop watching her jot down a verse or a tune that she has to get out of her head. They decided that acquisition planning was sufficient justification to buy a vacation place in Talina. I have my own suite there when I'm in town, but they're rarely here too, so I feel like the whole place is mine. Maybe it's living in a hotel. <laughs> I don't know, Jason. You're right. I do miss Heimavina, but I love it here. There's a legend that says Stromheim's warm winds fill the sails of lost ships and guides them home. And you know how superstitious Mana can be, so I don't have to tell you how weird it was when I was walking to a cafe shop in Talina and I felt the same warm breeze. Janine Laurelin told me the other day, it's because we're backwater planet girls, and we like the simple things. I asked her what exactly those things were, and she said, crisp host days, hoppy bure, and black diamonds. <laughs> I've become good friends with Bjorn's daughters, Janine, Inez, and Rin. It must have been fun to grow up with that kind of girl squad. As I've mentioned before, Janine is the scion to House Laurelin, and the eldest of the three sisters, and about 11 years older than me. She's also not exactly the brawler Raythea described her as, but she doesn't pull her punches either. She told me that she was an angry kid after losing her mom, and that as she got older, people called her a tick. So she just leaned into it. I remember one evening, the sisters came into Bjorn's office where he and I were chatting after a conference call. They announced that they were stealing me away for a sister's night. That turned out to be code for Let's get Dad's protege drunk and ask her lots of embarrassing questions. <laughs> that said, they took me to the coolest place I've ever been to. We walked out to a lovely restaurant at the end of a main pier with views of the entire bay. That would have been beautiful enough, but then we walked downstairs into an underwater bar. The walls, floors, and ceiling of the bar were glass, so you could just watch the sea life while having drinks. Yes, pictures are attached. <laughs> Once we found a table, the girls were ready to melt the ice on Andy. <laughs> what I wasn't expecting to hear was how much they hate the Vinstrasses, especially Janine. I sat there stunned as I listened to some crazy stories about Raythea. I learned among the Lithian house brats, Andy has a reputation as a pretentious snob whose nickname was Lord Perfect. I couldn't stop laughing. I mean, well, he kind of is, but I love him anyway. <laughs> As his fiance, I felt the need to tarnish his image with plenty of embarrassing stories, which they loved. I told him that he's a really good person and they should all give him another chance. 
and they confess they only really remember him as a little kid when their family would visit Alora. Janine told me that when Andy was rescued from his kidnappers, he wouldn't let anyone touch him. She was 16 at the time and was determined to help the scare little kid. So she crocheted him a blanket and told him it had protective powers that would keep him safe. Once he agreed to put it around himself, he curled into her lap, and she was the first person he hugged. Two rounds later, they wanted to hear all about the sexy villains. I showed pictures of you and Javi and your mom. They wanted details about everything, what you guys like, what you guys all do for fun, and when we're all going to Bella. <laughs> At that point, they raised what they really wanted to talk about, their dad. Their questions were ruthless, and I had to laugh and shake my head. <laughs> Janine said that she knows her dad better than anyone, and that it's been a long time since she's seen her dad laugh. And then she said, you've brought him back to life. I thought it was sweet of her to say, but I doubt it's just me. Bjorn has become fast friends with my parents, enjoys debating politics with Vera, and has become the uncle Andy has always wanted. I told him that maybe he just needed some friends who didn't call him Lord. <laughs> I spent at least half my year here. Andy eventually told Wraith he had to sell ice and started coming out on the weekends, which was great. He's not quite sold on Talina like the rest of us, but he says he'll just get a warmer coat. I told him about your suggestion that we just move to Bella, and he said, Depends. Are we going to race skiffs? He's so competitive. <laughs> Andy also caught up with the Laurelin sisters, and when he saw Janine for the first time, he grabbed her hands and thanked her for the blanket. He told her that it's always helped him through tough times in one amazing moment, because he was wrapped in it when I proposed. Janine started crying, and they hugged. She told him that she was still going to call him Lord Perfect, which delighted him. And he says he would like to be addressed that from now on. <laughs> my birthday was last weekend, and my parents threw me a little family party at their place here. Janine told me that my birthday happened to be on the same day their mom and baby brother died. I told her they were under no obligation to come, but if they didn't want to be alone, they were all welcome. After dinner, we were about to go outside and enjoy the fire pit when the door chimed, and it was Bjorn and his daughters. After several drinks and jokes at my expense, it was time for gifts. The rule in my family is that birthday gifts have to be small or meaningful. I got a bunch of sweet things, including a Farhoom plushie from Iria and Lars, who told me that it would keep me from being lonely on Veron. The highlight was from Elgi and Juniper, which they got me an actual geode from Veron's moon. I cracked it in front of everyone, and inside were amethyst crystals. Helgi said he felt bad about swindling me as a kid. The Laurelin sisters made me a hand-woven sisterhood bracelet made with gray and amber-red threads to match our eye colors, and said that I was one of them. Bjorn gave the birthday toast. He thanked my parents for the invite and said, As you all know, 40 years ago was the worst day of our lives. But across the galaxy, a remarkable woman was born, and she has become very dear to us. She's shrewd, ruthless, hilarious, and we all adore her even if she can't tell the difference between an Elithian stout and a Haimavina porter. Everyone laughed and toasted me happy birthday. After we all sat, Andy asked, Is there really a difference between a stout and a porter? <laughs> Everyone erupted in protest. Vera just shook her head and said that he was not allowed on her planet anymore. My dad stood up and told Andy that the wedding was off and asked my grandfathers to escort him out of the house. 
Lars and Mikkel responded by lifting Andy bodily from his chair. And I was laughing so hard that I was having trouble keeping a straight face as I told him. It was fun while it lasted, but I'm keeping the diamonds in the flat. <laughs> Andy knew exactly what he was doing, and he grinned like a lunatic the whole time. When the party died down, and everyone headed to bed, my mom and I were sitting by the fire with Bjorn and his daughters. And she asked them to tell us about Yana. My mom has an incredible ability to connect to people, and they just opened up to her. And through tears and laughter, we learned about the woman we all would have loved. And we became family that night. It was a really good birthday. Love always, CJ, age 40. You've been listening to an episode of Binary Saga. The part of CJ is played by Vanessa Shannon Anderson. The part of Jason has been played by Steve Petricelli. Music by Eric Matias and soundimage.org. Thank you to our Patreon members, Rob and Mary Carnahan, and Samantha. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting our Patreon page, which can be found in the Where to Find Us menu on our website. We have multiple levels of support, with a lot of fun, special features like transcripts and photos. Or if you just want to donate to our Café, Bior, or Sidrus funds, it is always appreciated. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook with at the binary saga. Want to ask us questions? You can join us on Discord for general chat. Find all of these links and more information at binarysaga.com. You can also read the print version of the entire first and second season in Kindle or paperback on Amazon. Print versions include a number of extra stories and background information. Just search for The Binary Saga. <laughs>